We want to get into our topic for tonight, a new beginning. You ever wanted to have a new beginning with God? Ever wanted to just start afresh? God has provided a way for that to happen. We, uh, I'm sure we all know that Mount Everest is the tallest mountain uh, on planet Earth and as many people attempted to scale its heights. And Mount Everest is 8.8 kilometres above sea level at its highest point. 8.8 kilometres high above sea level. And then if you were to go to the depths of the ocean, there's a place in the Pacific called the Marianas Trench. And the Marianas Trench is 10.9 kilometres deep. In other words, below sea level. And it's the deepest place on planet Earth. By the way, that's a, a shot from Google Earth. And you can spin the Earth around and it's just almost all. All you can see is water there, right? Some people say, how can you believe in a global flood? Where did all the water go? Well, it's still there. <laughs> you know, right? It's still there. In fact, they've, they reckon that if you uh, were to adjust the topography of the earth and you brought all the mountains down and you brought all the, the, uh, the gulfs and the, the valleys and the, the trenches up from the ocean, then the, the world would be covered by two kilometres of water still. So um, there's a lot of water out there. Anyway, the point being... Mount Everest, 8.8 kilometres above sea level. Marianas Trench, 10.9 kilometres deep. And that means, well, let me read you a Bible verse. Maybe you've heard this before. This is Mark 11:23. Jesus is speaking. He says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. There's another verse in the Old Testament that says, he will again, talking of God, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities or our sins. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, it'll be cast into the sea if you have faith. And here in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it tells us that God will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And if we think about Mount Everest and we think about the Marianas Trench, you might have a Mount Everest of sin in your life. But if you have faith in the promises of God, that can be cut off and plunged into the depths of the sea and buried in God's ocean of grace. So whatever, however big your mountain of sin is, God can cover it in his ocean of grace. What do you say? We're going to pick up our topic tonight. We're actually going to discuss the topic of baptism tonight. What does it mean to be baptised? What does the Bible say about that topic? We're going to start in Damascus, in Syria. Uh, it's not the place, I guess, that you would be heading for a summer holiday because Syria has been experiencing years of civil war and it's a, a devastating place to live right, right then, right now. Um, but actually in this place, an incident took place nearly 2,000 years ago where there was a war, a civil war no less, but it was the, a civil war in the mind of a man. And the mind of that, that, that man's name was Saul and he later became Paul, but he was on the road to Damascus and he was going there, he was a Jewish young man, and he was going there with others, with authority from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, to go to Damascus 
to arrest anybody professing to be a Christian. He was going there to get rid of the Christians and to shut down the Christian church in its fledgling state. And he was on his road to Damascus to do that when he encountered this bright light and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice. And it said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who am I I persecuting? And he says, you are persecuting Jesus. I am Jesus. And Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He got up from that experience. Others helped him, but he realized he could not see. And they helped him and they went into Damascus and he was there. And for three days, he did not eat. He did not drink. He could not see. I guess he was recognizing that he had been blind all this time. And God spoke to a man called Ananias and says, I want you to go and visit this man called Saul. And Ananias was saying, I've heard about this guy. He's causing all this trouble in the churches. Are you sure this is the right man? And God says, yes, he's the right one. I want you to go. He's praying right now. And I've told him that a man called Ananias is going to come. I want you to go there, pray for him, that he will receive his sight. And indeed, he did receive his sight. And it says, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptised. So this man Saul, who later became Paul, who wrote half the books in the New Testament... He received his sight, he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and he was baptised, whatever that means. He was baptised. All right, Paul then becomes, as we said, a great missionary for the Lord and he writes half the New Testament. One of the books he wrote was a book of, uh, called Ephesians which was to the church in Ephesus and he writes in that book, he says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, when we talk about the subject of baptism, we could talk to a number of different churches, even in Australia, but if you talk to churches around the world about what does baptism mean and how should baptism be practised, you would get a variety of different answers. Some people might say, well, people are baptised by pouring water upon their head. Others might say, well, people are baptised by sprinkling water upon someone. Others might say, well, people are baptised by sprinkling salt on them. Others, by taking a little bit of oil and making the sign of the cross on a person's forehead. That's the way you baptised. Others would say, other churches, some churches were willing to baptise you over the phone. And then there are other churches who are willing to baptise you by mail. And then again, there are other churches who say, you don't need to be baptised, don't worry about it. What we want to know tonight is what does the Bible say about this subject of baptism? Because clearly Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, he says there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. And here he's talking about there's one means, one method of baptism from the Lord. And that's what we want to look into. And probably... There's no better place to start than if you want to look for an example of how you should be baptised, let's go to see what Jesus did, right? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus, when he began his ministry, he began his ministry by being baptised. In fact, we looked at this when we uh, looked at 
the evidence for Jesus, and we looked at Daniel chapter 9, we noted that he became the Messiah, 27 AD, at his baptism. The Bible says this in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When he, Jesus, had been baptised, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened uh, to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in, excuse me, in whom, in whom I am well pleased. Can somebody get me a glass of water? Um, several things we note here. First of all, it says, after his baptism, he immediately came up from the water. That means that before his baptism, he went down into the water and he comes, and he comes up from the water. Then it says, uh, the heavens were opened. Thanks, brother. Then he says, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son. So at baptism, Jesus went down into the water. He came up from the water. There was a declaration that God said, This is my child. This is my Son. And the Holy Spirit came upon him as well. And after that too, Jesus began a ministry. So here at baptism you have Baptism by immersion in water, God declaring you to be his child, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and the beginning of a ministry for the Lord. And so this is what happened to Jesus at baptism. In Mark, it records it this way, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. That means the Jordan River. The Jordan River is basically the boundary line from Israel and today the country of Jordan. And in Bible times, the Jordan represented the border of crossing over into the promised land. And so Jesus gets baptised in the Jordan for a reason. He could have baptized, got baptised in many other places, I guess. But he gets baptised in the Jordan because it's symbolic of that crossing over from this world into the promised land. All right, John 3, 23. Another passage here, John, this is John the Baptist now. John was also baptising in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. Evidently, baptism required much water. And so John the Baptist, not only did he baptise Jesus, he was baptising lots of people for the remission of their sins and he would baptise them by immersion in a large body of of water, and that's how baptism was conferred in the Bible. And of course, then, as we read earlier, this is the verse, um, Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus actually instructs his disciples on what they are to do when he has left. So Jesus says to them, the last words he speaks before he ascends there to heaven, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So clearly Jesus wanted his people to baptise and for people to be baptised. There's another example. There are many examples in the Bible. There's another example of someone being baptised. Um, Philip, who was a disciple of Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and says, I want you to go down on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, 
there's a man there, an Ethiopian. He's the treasurer of Ethiopia. I want you to catch up with him and I want you to talk to him because this man had been to Jerusalem to worship God. He'd been to a feast there. He's on his way home back to Ethiopia and he's sitting in his chariot and he's reading a scroll. And um, the good thing about riding in chariots is the horse knows where to go, right? And you can read your scroll and you don't have to steer so much because the horse knows where it's going. But he's reading this scroll and he happens to be reading Isaiah 53. And Philip catches up with him, jumps in the chariot. And uh, Philip says, do you know who you're reading about? No, in fact, the Ethiopian says to him, who is this about? Is the writer writing about himself or somebody else? And Philip talks to him about Jesus because in Isaiah 53 it speaks about how Jesus would come as a sacrificial lamb. And so they get to some water and the Ethiopian says to Philip, see here is water, what hinders me from being baptised? Then Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptised him and he went on his way rejoicing. So here you have an example of Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus, finds this Ethiopian who's a believer in God, doesn't know about Jesus so much yet and he teaches him that part which he did not know and he says, here's water, why, not, why can I not be baptised? And they get down into the water and he baptises him. When you think about it, the word baptism, it's a very interesting word uh, and it has a history. Baptism, what does it mean? Well, uh, it's taken from a Greek word which is baptizo. Baptizo and it literally means to dip, to plunge, to immerse underwater. That's what it means. That's what the word means. And the Bible translators who translated the Bible into English would have been correct if they had put that John was not baptising, John was immersing in water. They could have written that, but they called him John the Baptist in, instead of John the Immerser in Water or John the Plunger. Right? He's called John the Baptist. Why? Because he baptised. The word baptised simply means to plunge under. And uh, of course when the time uh, came to translate the Bible into English, that was not the primary way people were being baptised, so they just used the word baptism instead. Instead of translating that word into what it actually means, they just left the word baptism there in the English. So that's what it means, to plunge under. Well, there's a story in the book of Acts, and it involves Paul, the character that we talked about at the beginning. And these are the uh, ruins of Philippi. And they believe that this here is a prison cell where Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi. And uh, you can go visit that ruin there in Philippi. They believe this was a prison block there. And Paul and Silas had been arrested in Philippi for preaching the gospel. And they were in jail and they were singing their hearts out to the Lord in jail. And what's fascinating is it says in the Bible that the other prisoners were listening to them sing. So they were listening to the messages that they were singing in, in Christian song. And then at midnight there was an earthquake. And the earthquake and the, the gates of the prison flew open and Paul and Silas were free. 
And now the, the jailer there, he was very concerned because he thought that maybe they had escaped and had they escaped, he was going to be in deep trouble. He was about to draw his sword and kill himself. Now I want you to ask yourself this question. What must the penalty have been like for losing prisoners that you would take your own life by the sword? But what was the penalty going to be? The penalty must be pretty severe if in order to avoid the penalty you take your own life, right? So it must have been a... But, but he's about to take his own life and Paul and Silas say, hey, don't, don't, do, don't do yourself any harm. We're here. We, we haven't left. We're here. And the jailer says, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I guess if you were holding two Christians prisoners and there was an earthquake, and the, you know, the jail uh, door blew open, you'd probably think, what must I do to be saved too? You'd be shocked if that happened to you. And he's saying, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour and night and washed their stripes I like that idea. Here is the jailer keeping them in jail. Now he's releasing them. He's actually helping to, to heal their wounds. Which means there's been a change of heart there, isn't there? There's a change in that jailer because now he's, he's actually trying to repair the damage. And then it says, immediately he and all his family were baptised. So here this jailer who'd been keeping them prisoner, something supernatural has occurred He's become a believer. He's, he's now wanting to serve those prisoners rather than imprison them. And they and his family were baptised. And in fact, in uh, Philippi today, there is the ruins of an ancient church there, probably around 4th or 5th century. And there is a baptistry in the middle of the church. In other words, the place where they would fill that with water and they would be able to baptise people by immersion in that church. We could go to Ephesus, another place that Paul wrote to. And again, you will find uh, a 5th century church there with a large baptistry in the middle of where the ruins of the church was. And they would baptise people in the water in the baptistry. There's another one in uh, a church that is dedicated to John the Revelator. Uh, John is believed to have uh, spent some time ministering toward the end of his life at Ephesus. And they named a church after him and there is a baptistry there. Anybody here been to Pisa in Italy? Yeah, a couple of people. And uh, it's a fascinating place, of course, because of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But there are actually three buildings on this whole square. There is the baptistry, which is really actually, a, uh, sorry, not a baptistry, this bell tower, which is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Then you've got the great church, the great cathedral there. And behind that is this circular building which is a building specifically just for baptistry. That is a baptistry. And inside, you can see there is a baptistry here. They would fill this with water and people will get baptised there. And there are dozens of such cathedrals with large baptismal fonts in Europe. This was the biblical way, this was the normal way that people got baptised in biblical times. So what happened? What changed? Why did all of these variety of different methods of baptism that are practiced today, 
where did they come from? Well, one of the explanations is um, this uh, church father, Cardinal James Gibbons, we've mentioned him before last week. He says, for several centuries after the establishment of Christianity, baptism was usually conferred by immersion. So he's acknowledging that people were usually plunged beneath the water. But since the 12th century, the practice of baptising by infusion, that's sprinkling, has prevailed in the Catholic Church as this manner is attended with less inconvenience than baptism by immersion. He goes on and he says, the church exercises her discretion in adopting the most convenient mode according to the circumstances of time and place. question is, should we follow the biblical method or should we just do what is more convenient? What happened there in the 12th century is because... By that time, Christianity had moved from being a persecuted religion to being the state religion that all the nobles and the kings and all of the wealthy and important influential people in society would all be baptised. And many of them felt that it was not dignified to take off their royal robes or what have you and get plunged beneath the water. That was a kind of humiliating practice. But if we understand what baptism is about, it is the humbling of ourselves before the great God of heaven. And so some felt that this was humiliating to practice and therefore a simpler, more convenient version of baptism was produced. question for us perhaps is what did Jesus do? And we've already asked and answered that question uh, in regard to what method Jesus was baptised with. Many of you, perhaps, were baptised in a different method. Maybe some of you were baptised as babies, as I was, or should we say christened. You ever heard of that term? Yeah, I was christened as a baby. My parents took me along to the local Anglican church in England, and uh, I would have been christened somehow. I actually don't know how, because I wasn't there. I mean, I was there, but I don't remember it. Um, And... I believe that my parents did what they believed to was, was to be the best thing they could possibly do at that moment in time. They did what they felt was the right thing to do. Um, but of course, that wasn't my decision. Right? I had nothing to do with it. Nobody asked me whether I wanted to be baptised. And so um, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along because I want to address that Uh, Should babies be baptised? We ought to ask that question. Um, What did Jesus do? Well, we know that he got baptised by immersion. How important is the rite of baptism? I mentioned before there are some who say, well, you don't need to worry about baptism. It's not necessary. We want to ask how important is the rite of baptism? Peter is speaking. It's kind of the birth of the Christian church, really, because Jesus has died, been buried, rose from the dead, met with his disciples on many occasions over a 40-day period, and then he has ascended to heaven. And the Holy Spirit has come down on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, and Peter is preaching here in Acts chapter 2, and in verse 38, notice what he says. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, 
Repent and let every one of you, how many? Everyone, right? Every one of you be baptized. He didn't say just a few or just the leaders or he says every one of you. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. By the way, that repent word there again, Jesus used the word repent, John the Baptist used the word repent, Peter uses the word repent. It is the a sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. It is a humbling of ourselves. There is meant to be some humility when we come to the place where we need to get baptised. But Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And it says a little later, after he makes that appeal, it says, then those who gladly received his word were baptised. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people responded to Peter's call to be baptised and they were baptised. Baptism in the Bible in many ways is a little bit like marriage. It's comparable to marriage in the sense that how many of you have seen advertised that programme called Married at First Sight? Confess. Now don't tell me you watch it because that will immediately reduce your IQ. But, but maybe you've heard it advertised, right? Married at First Sight. What a joke. Okay, And but the idea is that you and I, uh, we hope that if we make that choice, that decision to get married, that's usually based on the fact that we've already fallen in love with the person, right? So in other words, we fall in love with somebody and then we make the commitment publicly to marry the person in front of many witnesses and in front of God, right? And the same is true with baptism in the sense that we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ We've accepted the fact that God loves us and we've chosen to love him and therefore we commemorate that decision with a public service of baptism before God and witnesses. And so in a way, baptism is like getting married. Now, how would you feel if somebody said to you, look, uh, I'd like to get married but um, do we have to tell anybody? Can we keep it quiet? Let's not tell anybody we're going to get married. I mean, I'm not ashamed of you or anything, but, you know. It would be strange, wouldn't it, if somebody said, let's get married, but let's not tell anybody we're getting married. Or maybe somebody might say, well, can we get married, but do we have to live in the same house? Sometimes we want to get married to the Lord, but we don't want to join the body of Christ. Or somebody might say, um, is it okay if we get married, but is it okay if I still date other women? My guess is that's not going to go down well. It wouldn't go down well with my wife, that's for sure. Um, sometimes we want to say, Lord, I want to get baptised, I want salvation, but I still want to keep doing my old sinful ways. And God wants for us to repent, which is the sorrow for sin and the turning away. There has to be a commitment. It's forsaking all others, right? And he becomes number one. And so in many ways, baptism is a little like the commitment of marriage. We're committing our lives to the Lord. Is it really necessary to be baptised? Let's go to the words of Jesus. Jesus was talking to someone who was not a novice, this person that Jesus was talking, in fact, this person was a uh, religious leader. His name was Nicodemus. He was a mature man. He'd been a religious leader for the Jewish nation for some time. 
He wanted to see what Jesus had to say. So he came to Jesus at night time. He kind of wanted to talk to Jesus, but he didn't want anybody to know that he wanted to talk to Jesus. So he comes to Jesus at night and he starts talking to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'm sure that this man was a little bit shocked. It wasn't that the notion of baptism was new to him. He, he knew that you know if you had been a drunk or a prostitute or somebody in desperate need of salvation, that you might need to be baptised. But he's thinking, me? He, Jesus said to him, most assuredly, as one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he says, well, how does that happen? And Jesus responds, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is clearly teaching that we must have water baptism, that's our decision, and Holy Spirit's baptism, that comes from God. Right? Those are the two things. God's commitment to us is the Holy Spirit. Our commitment to, his, to him is to publicly say, yes, Lord, I want to be baptised. That's how we join ourselves to the Lord, through water baptism. And Jesus says it's important. When he says he cannot enter the kingdom of God, I'd say that's important, wouldn't you? I think that's important. In Mark 16, 16, we've read about Matthew and Jesus' final words to his disciples in the book of Matthew. When Mark records Jesus' final words to his disciples, he says this, Jesus says to the disciples, he who believes and is baptised will be saved. So he links those two together as well. Evidently, it was important to Jesus. Well, what steps are required for a person to make the decision to be baptised? What, what steps are necessary? Number one, we need to understand the teachings of Jesus. We are getting baptised into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand what he teaches. You know, we, we don't want to commit ourselves to somebody for life when we don't really know much about them. So we need to understand the teachings of Jesus we need to believe with all our heart in Jesus Christ as our personal saviour. And we must confess all sins and repent of them. And when you look at those steps that a person makes to make that commitment of baptism, it's very difficult for a baby to be able to do that. Right? Should babies be baptised? Um, it's difficult for a baby to understand the teachings of Jesus. It's difficult for a baby to believe with all their heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just too small. They don't have that understanding yet. And it's difficult for a baby to confess all their sins and repent. Right? So, typically, well not typically, there are no examples of babies being baptised in the Bible, which may surprise you. Now let me say this. There is example of babies being taken to the Lord to be dedicated and in fact, you can read in Luke chapter 2, I think it is, where Jesus was taken by Mary and Joseph to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And that's entirely appropriate, entirely appropriate. And really what that is, that, that's a commitment of the, prayer, of the parents to raise this child to love the Lord. But that's not baptism, you see. Because baptism is a decision that has to be made by a mature person, a person who knows what they're deciding who knows what they're choosing. And so babies uh, don't get baptised in the Bible. Now some people 
are concerned about that. The reason that baby baptism came in is because it, as uh, history uh, progressed, as the Christian church progressed, after the time of the Bible, people began to say baptism's really important. In other words, you must be baptised to be saved, therefore their babies, we would want them to be saved too, so we're going to baptise babies. And you see back in Roman times, life expectancy, they really usually measured life expectancy from the age of five upwards. In other words, if you made it past your first five years, then they could start measuring your average lifespan. Because so many babies died within the first five years. Uh, just from you know, common illness and they didn't have uh, a great deal of sanitation and so forth. And so because the belief was if you don't get baptised you're going to be lost, then as soon as babies were born it's like we've got to get these babies baptised. And that's where the practice of baby baptism um, came in. If a baby, let me just settle this now, if a baby dies and they haven't been baptised because they haven't made that decision for themselves... They're not lost just because they haven't been baptised. The Bible does not teach that. I know some churches teach that if you're, if you're a baby and you die before you have been baptised, that you're in some kind of limbo between heaven and earth and you never get to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches and I think that's important to understand. Baptism is for people who know the decision they're making. They know the commitment that they're making. Well... When Jesus came to John the Baptist to get baptised in the Jordan, 27 AD, I want you to notice here what John the Baptist says to Jesus. He says, I need to be baptised by you. And Jesus says to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfil all, all righteousness. So in other words, Jesus was baptised mainly as an example for us because how many sins did Jesus need to repent of? None, right? Jesus had not sinned. So he wasn't being baptised to wash away his sins, but he was baptised as an example for us, and I believe he was baptised for those who cannot be. In other words, let me give you an example. Perhaps a small child dies and they have not made the decision to be baptised, they haven't been baptised, I believe Jesus will credit his baptism to that child. Perhaps you are in a hospital. You might have uh, been in a tragic accident or you might be dying of a terminal illness but you give your heart to the Lord. You decide you want Jesus Christ to be your personal saviour but you can't actually physically be baptised in water. I believe Jesus credits his baptism to that person. Perhaps you have committed some serious crimes and you are in jail. You might even be on death row in some countries and you are facing the death penalty or maybe you're just facing a life sentence and you're never going to get out and they will not permit you to be baptised. I believe Jesus will credit his baptism to that person. But notice, I believe Jesus will credit his baptism to those who cannot physically get into the water but I don't believe he credits his baptism to those who can but won't. You see what I'm saying? Because it's about the choice. 
I want you to notice this. Galatians 3.27, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, the biblical uh, teaching of salvation is that Jesus died in our place. He takes away our sins and he takes them to the cross and dies for our sins. But then he doesn't leave us like that. He clothes us with his perfect record of righteousness. We are declared righteous because he is righteous. Not because of our righteousness. We're declared righteous. He clothes us in his righteousness. And I want you to know what it says here. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. If you want Christ's righteousness, he's saying it comes to us as we make our commitment to him and that commitment is through baptism. This is a very important subject in the New Testament. It's the way in which we commit our lives to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Right? Christ is one body. You remember Paul at the beginning, he'd said, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay? Same writer here. This is Paul writing again. He says, For by one spirit we were all baptised into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. He's saying we've all been baptised into one body. It's how we join the body of Christ. And now we just want to look in Romans. Again, Paul is writing. He tells us here why the method of baptism is important. Notice here he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, the method of baptism is important because it reveals a principal teaching of the Christian faith. And that is we die to sin, we are buried beneath the waters of baptism, and then we rise to a new life in Christ. That is why the method of baptism is so important, because it gets right down to the core of what Christianity is about, the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We die to sin, we are buried beneath the waters of baptism when we rise to a new life in Christ. That's the meaning of the method of baptism. You know, sometimes when we dispense with the principles, the very simple, by the way, principles of the Bible, we sometimes lose the power of those teachings. I heard about a church one time and they said, we want to make our communion services more popular. So instead of offering the bread and the wine, we're going to offer hamburgers and Coca-Cola. Surely that will suffice as the bread and the wine and more people will come. But you see, when you dispense with the emblems that God gives, you lose something of the symbolism and the power of the message behind those symbols. And so that, I believe, it's important. And I believe the method of baptism is important because it is the core of the Christian teaching of the death, burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, 
In our last meeting, we talked about where did Sunday worship come from, right? And many people would say, some people would say, well, we observe Sunday as a memorial to the resurrection. The only problem with that is there's nowhere in the Bible that says that we are to keep Sunday as a memorial of the resurrection or any other day in in actual fact as a memorial of the resurrection. What the Bible does say is that baptism is a memorial of the resurrection and God calls us to that memorial. Romans 6.11, it says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in God, uh, to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it represents. Well, somebody once asked, is rebaptism necessary? You know, when Paul said one faith, one, one Lord, one baptism, does he mean you can only ever be baptised once? Well, no, actually there is an example in the Bible of somebody being rebaptised. They were baptised and then they got rebaptised, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Is rebaptism ever necessary? Well, yes, if I haven't been baptised by immersion. So, like I said before, my parents took me to the local Anglican church when I was a little baby and I was christened. But of course, that wasn't my decision and I had no part in that in terms of my own decision. And so, I needed to be baptised by my own decision. I needed to decide I want to commit my life to the Lord and I was baptised. So, yes, rebaptism is important if you haven't been baptised by immersion. Is rebaptism necessary? Yes, if we have, if I have raised the old sinful life. So I might have been baptised, but then I have forsook the, the Lord, I've forsook the church, I've gone back out into the world, I've led a sinful life, and then I repent and I want to come back to the Lord. Yes, perhaps rebaptism is appropriate in those circumstances, and some people may feel, yes, I would like to get rebaptised. And then thirdly, is rebaptism necessary? Yes. When I discover some significant new truth, and this is the example given in the scriptures in uh, Acts chapter 19, Paul meets a group of believers from Ephesus and he talks with them and they were baptised by John the Baptist. And uh, he talks to them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and they said, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And Paul teaches them about this new significant truth and he re-baptises them. So sometimes it is... Uh, a good thing to be rebaptized if you have come into a knowledge of some biblical truth that you may not have known before. And so that would be appropriate. I want to tell you a, a story. I was um, in Vanuatu a few years ago. I'd gone over there on a Christian mission trip. And we were helping to build a, uh, a building for a Christian mission there on the island. And it was lunchtime and we'd gone down to the bay and it was just beautiful, uh, beautiful bay there and there was this canoe, this uh, canoe that they have there in Vanuatu sitting there on the bank and I said to my friend Chris, hey, should we take the canoe out? So we jump in the canoe and he's sitting at one end and I'm sitting at the other and we're paddling out and we're about 100 metres from the shore and I'm sitting on an upside down paint tin, that's the seat that I'm sitting on in my end of the canoe and we're just, you know, we're not sort of going mad, we're just gently paddling out there and I feel this sort of itch on my stomach and then there's another one here and another one here and and I I look at Chris and Chris looks at me and he goes, Pete! And I look down and there's an army of red ants 
marching up my torso towards my neck. And I had, I thought, what am I going to do here? And I just leapt to my feet, dived overboard, and swam to shore, wiping off the ants as I went. The point is this. Once I understood my condition, I couldn't wait to get in the water. You see, as sinners in need of a saviour, when we understand our spiritual condition, we can't wait to get in the water because only Jesus can wash away our sins. He's the only one. The Bible says in Acts 22 verse 16, it says, And why are you waiting? Arise and be baptised and wash away your sins. You see, that's another example of why water baptism is so important. It, it represents the washing away of our sins. It represents God through Christ forgiving our sins and washing away those sins that we may stand in front of a holy God. I want to um, ask you to do something this evening. God has done everything in his power to make salvation available to every human being on earth. Some don't know about it, and that's one of the reasons we run programs like this, so that people can find out about what God has done to provide salvation for every individual. God has done his part, but he cannot do our part. He cannot choose himself on our behalf. We must do that. We have to choose him ourselves.